Our scripture reading today is Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Welcome to Weston Park Baptist Church. Uh, this uh, middle Sunday in July, we trust that uh, it's a good day where you are here in Toronto right now. It's it's quite bright. It's a um, lovely day, and we're thankful for that. Which makes sense as we look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a psalm that praises God for his work in creation. So it um, follows along that line. And we're trying to hit on different themes that come up in the Psalter. So this one uh, has that kind of focus. Interesting, C.S. Lewis wrote, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So interesting that he picks this one out as so beautiful. And also another one, Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, writes, two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe, the starry heavens above and the moral law written uh, within. So a lot of folks see this as a, as a beautiful piece of scripture that will speak through our hearts. Divides into three parts, creation, word, redemption. So the heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. And so the psalm, as I said, falls into three parts, and the first part is on creation. And really the key point here is that the artist is known by his work, or the master is known by their work. So if we listen to the music of Mozart, Mozart is made known through his music or paintings, let's say Monet, when you're looking at 
you know, the, the water lilies and pastoral type scenes. It, it, it speaks of the, the artist. So similar here, as we look at God's creation, we have a glimpse into his workshop, if you like. We get a glimpse into who God is. So it begins with gazing at the night sky. The glory of God is revealed. So that when we look at God's creation here, the night sky, we're not just looking at uh, physical material, but we're invited to look beyond that, to beyond the data, if you like, to the one who creates. And so you can imagine 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, really, with the writing of the psalm, how wonderful the night skies would be in, in rural Israel. It, it would just be incredible. No light getting in the way. It's just an amazing scene of the Milky Way. And very, very beautiful. Here in the city of Toronto, you know, at night, it's tough to see a whole lot of stars because of so much light pollution, we'll call it. But in a pastoral scene, we, we see it. And the artist is saying, the psalmist is saying, the glory of God is revealed as we see the stars. And here it's actually as the stars tell their story. It's, it's listening to the stars, emphasize the, the issue of keep telling, keep proclaiming, verses 1 and 2. And so they keep telling. So the, the stars are no different, really, than they were 3,000 years ago, by and large. And they keep telling the story of God's glory. And so whether it's the stars or not, whatever part of creation we look at, it keeps telling the handiwork of God. And so we are to see beyond the physical, the natural phenomena, to the artist behind. That's, that's what the psalmist is saying. So Lewis talks about the signposts that point to God. He talked about that in terms of his own life, what natural phenomena were pointing him. Beautiful sunsets, dawn, the starry, the starry sky, and so on. It, mountain ranges, the Great Lakes. Whatever that might be points to the artist behind. And so Paul picks up on that. For example, in Romans 1.20, he writes, Ever since the creation of the world, his, that is God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. And so Paul argues that God is known through his creation. If we find something, you're going through a field and you pick up a a beautiful watch, let's say, the argument is being made and you see that it is designed in a beautiful way, then it points to the designer of, of what you have. And so Paul picks up on that. No matter where you are in the planet Earth, God's creation is there and it speaks to the handiwork of the creator. You can read the same idea in Romans 10, 18. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world creation. And so the universe speaks of God. And again, in, in our text, it talks about the sounds, it tells, it proclaims. And now with, with the understanding we have in science, we know that actually the universe does have a sound. And, and, and there's background sound to the creation. 
the music of the spheres. So that's what happens in verses one to three. Praise God, praise the artist behind his art. And then verses four to six, it picks up particularly on the sun, our star, the sun, note, in the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from its wedding canopy. And so specifically, the psalmist speaks of the sun. So again, you're in a Middle Eastern country, you have a very powerful sun, strong heat. It's like being in Bolivia, you, you have the, the high sun, the Indian sun, and it's big and it's powerful. And so, you know, the Egyptians saw the sun as a, as a god. And the Incas also saw the sun as a god. And so the, the picture of the sun is represented here, but for the psalmist, the sun is not a god, it is not a deity, but it speaks of the deity, speaks of the creator, speaks of the hand behind. And so this is a theme that we see in, in the scriptures. Creation is, is, is recognized as incredibly beautiful. But, but it's not a God. It's not something that has power in that way, it, but it does speak to the hand behind it. So if you really want to get a better sense of this, you could read Job chapters 37, 38, and it talks about this theme. It develops it, not only with the sun, but the clouds, lightning, rains, snow, ice, thunder, all of that points to the God who has made it all. Some are here in Toronto and you have a thunderstorm, a powerful thunderstorm raging across the city and around the Great Lakes and Lake Ontario. A very, very strong natural event. But it, for the, the writers of scripture, it speaks to the hand behind. So creation is more than data. It is more than astrology. You know, that, that is still a keen idea in our, in our world today. People know their signs and they, they, they give it power in their lives, sort of check their uh, zodiac sign each day as to what is going on. And the writers of the Psalms are saying, no, 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 that's, that's not what's going on. Creation is real, it's beautiful, and it speaks of the creator behind. And so that's an invitation as we start. And so I, I mention that because in many of the Psalms there is this recognition of the, of the handiwork of God and how it speaks to God. And it does speak to God. So we ask the question, well, where is God? We're in a tough situation, where is God? And we, and we want some big sign, you know, to, or some voice that will tell us what to do. In terms of the scriptures, God is represented in the scriptures, in creation, and, and that is a sign. So to recognize and have faith and trust that the God who has created the universe also knows about you and knows about me and cares for us and loves us to trust in the hand of God. So creation speaks to that reality. And as I've said, that that's you know, can be a challenge in an urban setting. Certainly to see the starry sky at night, that's a challenge. But here in Weston, you can go down into the ravine. Humber River is a, you know, is a significant river. 
and there's all the trees that are lining along the riverbank. It, it, is, it is beautiful in its own way. Lake Ontario is beautiful in its own way. Get out and see and recognize God's handiwork behind all of this. So that's a choice for you and for me. So that's where the psalmist begins. Praising God for God's creation. We pick that up in the psalms going through. But then there's a change. Verses 7 to 9, there's a change. And it switches from creation now to the written word. So it goes from general revelation, the theologians would say, to a special revelation. And the special revelation is the scriptures. So we hear the psalmist, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. So the God of our creation, which speaks in a general way, now speaks to us, his people, in a special way. And that's in the revealed word. So the psalmist starts making connections. So it's interesting in verse 1, again, God, when it says God there, God is El. God is the all-powerful one. He is the creator, El. But when we go to the text now in front of us, verse 7, it switches to the law of the Lord. And the Lord there is the same as last week. The Lord is Yahweh, the one who becomes. I am who I am. So there's a switching from the name from El to Yahweh, moving from general revelation to special revelation. God reveals himself by his name. I am who I am to Moses, and that carries on throughout the Old Testament. And so what we see here in verses 7 to 9 are six lines, and they divide into three parts. The first part is a word for the Torah, a word, a name for the Torah, a second is a quality of that word, and then the third is a benefit for the listener. So for example, we see in verse seven, the law, Torah, of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So the law is the name of the, of the word they used there, and then the quality is that it's perfect, and then the benefit is that it revives the soul. And so that, that sequence happens through these verses. So we just look at it. Maybe this is on the screen for you. The law is perfect. It revives. Another word, a decree is sure. It makes you wise. Another one, a precepts are right and rejoices. It makes you full of joy. Remember we talked about that last week. Joy being part of our relationship. Precepts are right, rejoicing. Commandments are clear, enlightening. So though that, that sequence happens. It's quite beautiful, really, to look at. And so verses 7, 8, and 9 carries on in that three-part sequence. Name, quality, benefits. And so it's giving us an insight into the law of God which then gives us an insight into the character of God. Because we can only know so much of God as at his creation. It's, it's a general revelation. But now here there's a special revelation which gives us insight into the character of God. 
So if you want to know God, then we should be in the scriptures so that that special revelation can speak through our hearts. And it all leads up to verse 9. And verse 9 reads, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So particularly that first part, the fear of the Lord, that's another name for the law. The fear of the Lord, to recognize him, not in a fearful way, but to worship, to move into relationship with God. That's the language of the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord, come into a relationship with God who is. I am who I am. To recognize that. And then that speaks, it's pure and it's enlivening. And so, for example, in the Old Testament, there's no word for religion. Okay, there's no word for general religion that we would speak of in our culture. But to come to know God is to know the fear of the Lord in your heart, to recognize, to, to worship, to revere. That's how God in relationship with us is described, the fear of the Lord. So all of this scripture is leading us into this deeper relationship with God. This is the ultimate goal of the psalmist, that we might live in relationship with him. And it's so important that it's worth more than anything else. And so notice in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Money was a value 3,000 years ago, even as it is a value today. People wanted money, because with money you could do more and more of what you want. And in our society, money has really become a god. Recently here in Ontario, they, somebody won the max, and the max, I think it was worth $65 million. So you can imagine how excited that person would be. Hey, I've got all this money. I can now do whatever I want, they think. But in terms of the scriptures, $65 million is nothing compared to our relationship with God, which is eternal, to know him. And so for the writer, the writer is saying, you, you can have all the money in the, on the planet, all the silver and gold of the Andes, you can have it all. But in comparison to knowing God, it really is worthless. It's not the pearl of great price that Jesus talks about when he sells, the, the man sells all he has so he can buy that field. That specific field contains the pearl of great price. And so the scriptures then are revealed as being indicators of who God is, to recognize his hand and his life and what that speaks to us and to value that. So I can ask you, you know, are, are, do you value the scriptures? Do you value the word of God? We as Baptists are known as people who value God's word. Well, is that true for you and for me? Because that is the source that will reveal God's character to us. So we need to be spend time in it. That's the invitation. So the first part of the psalm is about creation. The second part is about God's word and valuing his word. And then in the third part, 
connections are made. And the connections have to do with God's work on our behalf. And so if we jump right to the end, you notice the language at the end, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God is my rock and my redeemer. So how are connections made between creation and the word? For the psalmist, he goes on and says, well, God, God does things for us, and his word speaks. So the first thing we see is that the word guides us, verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warmed, and keeping them there is great reward. The war, this word guides, leads, directs, helps us to know what's a good way to follow and what's a bad way not to follow. The word guides us, verse 11. And then the word reveals, reveals who we are inside for ourselves. It reveals, the scripture says, our hidden faults, verse 12. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. NIV there says, clear me from willful sins. So the word guides and the word reveals. It speaks to us, speaks to our spirit, it speaks to our consciousness. And then ultimately, the word redeems. It redeems us so that we become blameless. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You are my redeemer. You are creator. You speak to us in your special revelation of the word. And all of that is so that we are redeemed. Even the Old Testament people knew this sense of redemption. It's interesting, the word for redeemer there is goel. And that is the word for kinsman redeemer. So it's the story of the book of Ruth, where Boaz, the relative of Naomi and Ruth, he's the closest kin that is left after uh, Ruth's husband dies. So they, they are there looking to the kinsman redeemer who will, who will help and care. And Boaz is that one. And so as Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, verse 14 is saying, God is our kinsman redeemer. God is the one who comes alongside and acts as a close relative to take care of us and to help us and guide us. So God is your kinsman redeemer. God is my kinsman redeemer. He is there to work for our redemption Way, way beyond whatever stuff we have going in our lives, whatever our weakness is, whatever our frailty, and we, we all have them. We, we all have mess-ups. But God understands as our creator and as our redeemer and comes alongside us to care for us and to hold on to us in the midst of all of that and indeed is our rock. So he is our rock and our redeemer. So it brings these threads together so that we might indeed know joy and, and know how whole we can be in God and in Christ in the New Testament. Redemption. We can't figure it out on our own. We can't save ourselves. God is the one who redeems us. That's the message here as the psalm closes. So it reminds us that God's last word to us is not as judge. God, God is our kinsman redeemer. He is our champion, we could say. 
He's there for you. He is a champion on your side, on my side, in spite of all the mess-ups, in spite of all of our proclivities, whatever they might be, God is our champion who loves us and will see us through. Verse 11 calls us servants, not sinners. We live under the covenant of love, the covenant of God, and particularly the covenant that is made through his son, Jesus Christ. God becomes one of us with the purpose of saving us, of redeeming us, so that we might indeed live in his kingdom of love. And so the ultimate reality for us that the psalmist is presaging, just recognizing early glimpses, is that God's kingdom is a kingdom of love. And because of that, he acts on our behalf and redeems us so that our hearts are accepted. So that we no longer have to play in the world system of compromise, of insincerity, of half-truths, the political world, we can step back from all of that and know God's kingdom of love. That his kingdom of love is for you. His kingdom of love is for me. And we are invited as a church community to embrace that and to allow that love to be seen for others. Creator speaking to creature in creation. In his word, special revelation and then also in his redeeming work, ultimately through Jesus, for you and for me. So it's a beautiful psalm, and it's a psalm that can fill our hearts with peace and with joy, because the Spirit of God is full of peace, full of joy, for you and for me. May we receive his Spirit, may we receive the word of this psalm into our hearts and smile this week, because God is on your side. No matter what, on your side, my side, your children's side, God is there, he is love, and will ultimately reveal his love for everyone as we look to him and wait upon him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.